I'm asking you, Lord, to come speak through me. Lord, in glory and power and strong anointing, let your word go forth boldly and let it go forth as, as the parable of the seed and the sower is seeds of living words of truth that will go out into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives and families and marriages and homes and ministries. It will go out, the truth of your word will go out as those seeds of truth and they'll be planted and watered by the Holy Spirit and caused to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, we ask you to bless it that it's light shining forth that will dispel any type of darkness, any type of deceptions, any lies of the enemy and bring truth and revelation. Let it go out as a hammer that breaks down any strongholds as a mighty sword that cuts away what needs to go. Let it come, Lord. Let there be a mighty breakthrough in the word of the Lord tonight. And Lord, I pray that Jesus said many times those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, give us that tonight. Anoint our eyes and our ears that we're able to see and hear and perceive what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Lord, anoint our minds that we're able to comprehend. And sometimes things spiritually can be over our heads um, because we're too much in our natural mindset. But Lord, anoint our minds and help our minds to be able to be open to truth and our hearts tonight that our hearts are not hard but let them be soft in your hand and that we can really get everything out of this word that you will to be done and right now as i preach this word i'm asking you that the anointing and the glory would be so strong just to captivate all of us to give you our best to our full attention our focus that that time is gone it's just there's no distractions we're just locked into what the holy spirit is speaking we're hungry tonight for your word and let it be true manna that feeds us tonight, Lord. We love your word. Where would we be today without the word of the Lord? We love the Holy Spirit, but we gotta have the word. If we didn't have your word, Lord, we would be floating it off into some great deception somewhere. Your word has been what has anchored us in truth. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We love your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. All right, so everything's good to go. We're good. Can you bring the lapel down just, just a hair? It's a little hot. All right, so I've been doing a series on banners and shofars. It's just the name of it, but I've been doing a series regarding some of our roots, um, our Hebrew roots as Christians, and it's been a little bit deeper sermon series that I've been doing, and it's probably new to a lot of people. Some people that, that have grown up messianic or whatever, this would not be new to them, but obviously to others that have not, I'm sure a lot of this is new. And so when I open this thing up, I'm closing it tonight, okay? I'm, I'm closing it on the wedding feast to come. But as I open this up, I talked about when Jesus died on the cross, remember the two thieves were on each side? And he told one of them, they, they looked to him, and he told him, he said, you will be with me in paradise today. Remember that? And so I made this analogy. It's very important that you remember this throughout the rest of your life that you really lay hold of what I'm telling you because the Bible says there's going to be great deception in these last days, okay? <clears throat> the only thing that saves us is the blood of Jesus, okay? It's not going to be works, and it's not going to be other things. So don't let people add to or take away from the gospel. Make sure that you really get rooted in that. That thief on the cross did not have time to jump down and go get baptized, it wasn't like somebody slid him some communion, okay? Um, he, didn't, he didn't do anything other than he put his faith in Jesus. And that faith in Jesus Christ alone is what saved him. And that's why that story is in the Bible. It's because God wants us to make sure that we understand that that is what saves us. That's what makes us righteous. And so by that thief looking at Jesus, even though he had obviously sinned, when he looked at Jesus, Jesus pardoned his sin and said, you will be with me today in paradise. So my point in all that was, when I first started this series, I started talking about the difference between things that make you righteous or things that bring blessings on your life. For example, we were talking about like all these different issues, all these different things that will bring blessings on you. And I was talking some about celebrating the feast of the Lord, but I was also talking about things like tithing, blessing Israel regarding the poor there's just a lot of things in the Bible that when you do those things it will bring blessings on you but it's not that that saves you 
understand it's not that that makes you more righteous because if you believe that then you're trying to earn your salvation and that's what distinguishes true Christianity from all the other cults that are out there because the other cults out there like the Mormons or Jehovah's Witness or many many others out there there's countless others in all their different ways they're trying to earn a salvation of some kind through their good works hoping that their good works will be enough to cancel out their bad works right but that's never going to work remember the bible says if you've broken one commandment you're guilty of them all anyway okay so we all stand before the lord we've sinned and we need his mercy and grace and it's only through his blood that saves us so with that said the galatians that they had paul preach that to them but after paul left there were some people that were of the jewish faith that came in and started making the galatians feel like they needed to be circumcised and they needed to come up under the law and what the jewish people were trying to do was trying to basically tell these people to really be saved you have to do these works you have to come back under this law and this circumcision and paul got angry and that's why he wrote the whole book of galatians was paul yelling out you know I could just see him pinning it, you know, what these guys thinking? I was there, you know, just pinning it out. He was releasing some frustration. And he said in there, well, you know, who has bewitched you that you started out in the spirit and now you've gotten into this? But anyway, so I'm saying all that to say that whenever you're talking about honoring God's word and, and as far as something like celebrating the feast or tithing or doing these different things I've preached on, we're not talking about earning a salvation. We're not talking about coming back under the law. But how many of you know that when you do certain things, it will bring God's blessing on you? You see the difference? It doesn't save you, but it brings blessings on you. All right, and then, we, then I taught some on the different feasts, and I taught upon a lot of different issues that uh, you'd have to go back and listen to it. But the last time I preached, I talked about the difference between sin and defilement. And that's where I want to pick up. And I really encourage you to listen to that sermon because it's probably a sermon you've never heard preached before. You can go back and get it on our website or a podcast or whatever. There's a lot of different ways you can get it. But I encourage you to listen to it because you can still, believe it or not, you can still be defiled even though you have not committed a sin. And we know that sin will defile you. There's no doubt about that. But even though maybe you haven't committed a sin, there can still be things that could still defile you, defile your temple and where you need to be clean before God, cleansed, and get that stuff, that pollution cleansed off your life. And so I'm going to pick up with that. I gave several different examples last sermon, but here's a couple examples real quick, and then I'm going to get off this, but I really wanted to mention these. There was a, a pastor that was talking about ministering to a, a woman, and I know my wife just gave her testimony on the 700 Club, so this is kind of parallels to this. She had come out of a lot of Satanism and, and some horrible things were done to her. And so this pastor was just simply ministering to her, was going to help her through deliverance. But she was telling him and counseling, which there's nothing wrong with her talking about what happened to her. And there's nothing wrong with him listening and praying with her. But as she was telling him about all this stuff that had happened to her, he said it was so horrible, the stuff she had been to. It was just mind-boggling. But after the session, he went home and he said he felt like he was starting to be oppressed and he felt dirty and, and thoughts were coming into his mind that were very unclean thoughts. And, and he was like, Lord, what is going on? You know? And the Lord spoke to him and said, even though you didn't do anything wrong, all that stuff defiled you. You know what I'm saying? His mind was having to think on that filth and all that stuff was talked about. And so, of course, he just simply asked the Lord, Lord, wash my mind, cleanse me and purify me right now wash me in your blood and I just command that stuff lift right now and as he prayed he said it was just like the blood of Jesus just washed that pollution right off and everything was fine do you see how something where there was nobody doing anything wrong there but still there was a defilement does that make sense another example I gave last sermon would be what about a child that was molested the child didn't do anything wrong the child didn't sin but yet the child is defiled by it for sure it needs to be cleansed from the defilement that came. Even a woman that's around, say, somebody at work that's a, a very perverted man that's got a foul mouth and he's always talking about things he shouldn't be talking about, that can even defile that woman. Here's a couple more, and I need to move off this. 
The Bible talks about not being hasty or sudden about laying hands on people. I'm not criticizing anything out there because I love all the different moves of God that are going on. I honor them, I bless them. But one of the things that has concerned me is sometimes in some moves of God, not all of them, but some of them, there's too much of a free-for-all about laying hands on people. And let me just say this, I'm not going to dwell on it. You don't want everybody laying hands on you because you don't want what everybody else has got, including Christians. And you also need to be led by the Spirit about who you're laying hands on too. It's interesting because in the Bible when it says that, it says not to lay hands suddenly, hastily, flippantly is what it's talking about. Just going around laying hands on everybody all the time. Say, so don't do that because you can share in other people's sins. And that interesting statement. Meaning that by going through and praying over just anybody all the time, everybody, you can actually be defiled by some stuff in their life. Or they be defiled by stuff in the person's life that's laying hands. So, we need to be wise about that. And that's why from the beginning as we're doing a church plant here and we're going to be growing and getting new people. And as God's going to begin to move more and more on the streets and drawing people in, I'm, I'm going to make sure that the people that are laying hands on people are those that I know. And I know their life, okay? And it's not just going to be just a free-for-all. That's a good way for somebody to get hurt, spiritually hurt, okay? Um, another thing, uh, I could say more about that, but I've preached sermons on that. I, I can't dwell on that too long, okay? But about marriage beds, there was a man that called me. My heart really went out to him, and we were talking. He's, from, he's actually from um, Texas. He's not from the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, but, but another big city. And he knows of our ministry and called me. He was talking to me. His wife had had an affair. And he said that, you know, he found out about it later, but at that time when she went out and had an affair and came back and then they were having marital relations, he said that something happened to him where he began to, to struggle with sexual sins he'd never struggled with before. His mind began to be very perverted. A lot of things started going on. And what happened is, is that adulterous woman brought brought defilement into their marriage bed that man didn't do anything he was faithful to his marital vows but he was defiled by the sin of another you see what I mean so he needs to obviously get cleansed and washed from all that pollution and bloodlines bloodlines can be defiled just like my wife's bloodline you know when people give their family over to different things, to the worship of other gods or to sexual sins or to, to murder and violence and different things, a, literally a bloodline can be defiled. And then down that bloodline, even though the descendants didn't do it, they're affected by it. They're affected by the defilement and they're affected by the curses that come with it and the spirits that traffic down those bloodlines. But in Jesus Christ, I said all that to say, you can be cleansed and free and everything can be just fine, okay? So just be aware, I'm only bringing this up because it was things I wanted to say in my last sermon, but time didn't permit. I just want to make sure I got it out there. But just make sure that even though you yourself are not sinning, there can still be a defilement. There's been a few times over the years, I've gone to places and got prayer, I don't know how many times, and been tremendously blessed. I, I love the body of Christ. I love going to revivals. But there's just been a few times over the years where, where I've gotten prayer and then I felt like something wasn't right and I asked the Lord to just cleanse that, okay? There's sometimes there can be just certain people that don't need to be praying for other people, okay? All right, so tonight I'm actually going to take this from a totally different angle. I just wanted to make sure that I covered that, okay? All right, I'm gonna be talking about the wedding feast to come. How many of you guys know that Jesus is coming soon, Amen. All right, so let me read to you a few scriptures. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Everybody say a thief. In the night. So think about that for a moment because that's in several places of scripture. He's coming like a thief in the night. Really meditate on that tonight. Because in his glorious appearing, when he slaughters the armies of the world and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, that second coming um, is going to be like lightning, the Bible says. All eyes will see him. He's going to come down. He's going to take over. But yet there's a coming preceding that where he's coming like a thief in the night. And we've got to be ready for that. 
Revelation 16, 15, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes. Think about these scriptures because these are going to make a lot of sense to you at the end of the sermon. Think about this. Blessed is the one that stays awake. That's prayer. Sleeping is always prayerlessness in the Bible. And keeps his clothes. What in the world does that mean? Spiritual streakers running around. Okay, keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. This is obviously a spiritual thing, guys, okay? All right. In 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In Ephesians 5.25, it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But look at this, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. It's the husband's job to see the wife is, is washed with the water and ready. And it's the job, Jesus is, is preparing by the Holy Spirit. He's preparing a bride, okay? And look at this, to cleanse her with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So Jesus is coming for a bride without spot or blemish that has made herself ready. The three things that I live for. Right now in my life, I've studied the scriptures. I've, I've actually been in ministry for about 20 years and I've done a lot of different things. I've done a lot of stuff on the streets. I've worked with kids. I've went on missions, worked with missionaries. I've, I've worked with youth. I've, I've done music. I've, I've done pretty much what there is to do in, in the church world, okay? But what I live for right now, I believe with all my heart, I hope y'all hear me, I believe that the coming of the Lord is very near. I really do. Because all, not some, all of the prophecies the Bible says will take place before the coming of the Lord either are already being fulfilled right now or they're about to be. That's how close we are. We are that close. Israel is about to rebuild their temple before too long. The rise of the Antichrist is near. And what does the Bible say that the Lord is about in the last days before his coming? Number one, souls. The end of the age is the harvest. And so I have made up my mind right now to live for soul winning. Number two, revival. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'm living for revival. If you partner with what the Lord is doing in the earth, you cannot help but be blessed. And the third thing is, is to see a bride made ready for his coming. So let me say this again. The three things that I believe the Lord is about right now is soul winning, revival and a bride being made ready for his coming and that's what i'm living for and so with that said he's coming like a thief in the night but when he comes he's coming for a bride that has made herself ready without spot or blemish all right so i'm gonna take a few twists and turns but i'm gonna end up back on that subject all right there's an interesting study about abraham's servant that went out and found a wife for isaac okay David can help me with this. I believe it's pronounced Shadkin, 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 something like that. All right, these are people. Does that sound right? All right. These are people that in the Jewish community, well, let me go ahead and tell you the story about Abraham, and I'll come back to this. It's really interesting. All right, so Abraham was getting old, and he knew that his son Isaac needed a bride, so he takes a trusted servant. Some people believe it was Eleazar. Nobody knows for sure. And told him, listen, swear to me that you will not go among the Canaanites, but you'll go back among my people, and I want you to find Isaac a wife. And so the servant said, yes, sir, that's what I'll do. I give you my word. And he's, he gathered up his entourage and, and all that, the dowry, and he begins to go back to the land that Abraham came from, and he prayed along the way, Lord, give favor to me on behalf of Abraham and cause that when I go, and my animals need to be watered because see those in that time frame it was the chores of the young women to come out and draw water and so there was bound to be different women out there and so he said that the the woman the young woman that comes up and offers to water my animals will be the one okay and god honored him he goes there and we know the story rebecca comes out to him and says can i water your animals and give you water and all that and he says aha you're the one you know 
And can you imagine being Rebecca that day? You know, it's like, man, what's going on? You know, I just come out here to, you know, draw some water. Now I've got this huge entourage here in this big dowry, and this guy saying, you're the one that's going to move to a faraway land and marry a guy you've never met. And so, of course, she, she accepted that, and the dowry was paid, and they begin to make their way back. And now, as the story goes, we know that, that this, um, this servant of Abraham would have given a, a dowry, obviously, to that family, but also would have given her some jewelry to wear. And while they're going along and riding whatever comfortable animal they were riding, maybe a camel, they're going along on their camels and their donkeys and they're riding along, and this servant of the Lord, what is he doing? He's telling Rebecca about Isaac because she's never met him. And telling Rebecca about that family because she's never seen them, you know, obviously she didn't know anything about them. She probably had a lot of questions. And when they get back to the camp, Isaac sees her and sees the family jewelry that she was given. She's wearing that, obviously recognized her, and took her as his bride, okay? So to this day, this is very interesting, but among the Jewish people to this day, they have a, an association of, of shotguns that were incorporated in New York in 1929. Now listen to this. This, the, the Jewish culture really secludes women, and so they needed to find a way because they knew that it was against their faith and it was against the Old Testament for them to marry Gentiles and marry of others. So they're supposed to be marrying Jewish people. So how in the world were they going to make this happen? So listen to what they came up with this solution. They created this organization, the Shakans, that would go out and they would study and they would research now, these guys are really brilliant. They said, when I was reading up on this, they said that almost never is there a divorce because these guys, now this is not like eHarmony, okay? You guys heard of that. It's not like that, okay? But these guys will study. They'll study both families, and they'll study, like, their personality traits. They'll study their financial status. They'll, everything about the families, everything about their family businesses, Will these people be able to co cohabitate while they're alive? Anyway, they go through this whole big process, and by the end of it, they, they come back and say, look, because this family hired these people to find a wife for maybe their, their Jewish son. And so they find this person, and they come to them and say, we believe that these two need to be married. We've done all of our research, and we believe it'll work out. And so, of course, they, they all go along with it. And they said that, truthfully, like I mentioned earlier, there's almost never divorces because these people really consider it something very serious and they take it very serious to make sure that the right person is brought into their life all right so with that said let me give you a few things here today i'm going to give you two different lines of thought along this number one jesus is the bridegroom and the holy spirit is like the shotgun he is the one going out please get this this is powerful the holy spirit is the one that is going out just like Abraham's servant he's going out and he is finding a bride for Jesus Christ he's the one that is drawing people unto Christ and when they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior he's also the one that just like the servant would follow along with Rebecca and was telling her about Isaac the Holy Spirit is the one that's teaching us about our bridegroom because none of us have really met him face to face okay we know about him but we've not met him so the Holy Spirit is the shotgun he's the one that it, that is pursuing a bride for Christ and how many knows whenever this servant came Abraham's servant came he wasn't there trying to tell Rebecca about himself he was there trying to tell Rebecca about the bridegroom he was trying to get her ready for the bridegroom and ready for the family the Holy Spirit has not come to speak of himself but to prepare us for the marriage supper of the Lamb and teach us about Jesus he doesn't speak of his own but he glorifies Christ and just like the jewelry that would have been given to Rebecca and Isaac would have seen that jewelry on her and recognized her and said look that's the family jewelry and obviously you're the bride you know what the Holy Spirit is doing the Holy Spirit is clothing us in the glory and he's putting an anointing to where there's something about us spiritually to where we're marked and Jesus when we stand before him he's going to see that on us does that make sense 
And so the Lord, the Holy Spirit, right now is the one that is at work in the world, drawing sinners to repentance and bringing them into the house of God. And then through the church, he's helping to prepare a bride for the coming of the Lord that will have made herself ready, sanctified and washed and holy before God so that when they stand before the Lord, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. But the Holy Spirit is the one who's going out right now and preparing for that. See, right now on the earth, the Holy Spirit is the one that is preparing things for Jesus' coming. And when Jesus comes and he reigns in Jerusalem for a thousand years, he's going to spend that thousand years preparing for the Father to come. Because at the end of the thousand years, we know that the tabernacle, the new Jerusalem is coming down and the Father is going to come down and dwell among us. So right now it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit preparing for Christ, but one day it's going to be the ministry of Christ preparing for the Father. But right now, we live in a time when the Holy Spirit is preparing a bride. And I don't know about you, but I want to be ready for when the Lord comes. And another thing I want to say along these lines is that, you know, why divorce is rampant is because the American dating system is not biblical. And let's just go ahead and say it. If you want to do it God's way, pray and hear from God and God will bring you somebody and you'll hear from him and it'll work. If you want to do it the world's way, just date around and randomly end up with somebody and we'll see how that works out for you. But here's, here's a couple things. In biblical times, young men and women were not getting too close. And here's the problem that I see in, in America's dating right now. Number one, I've got, there's a lot of problems, but number one is people are giving their heart away to people that they have no intention of ever marrying. And how stupid can you be and still breathe? Amen? You're giving your heart away to people that you're not going to end up marrying. Now, here's the problem with that. Because you're going from one dating situation where you gave your heart to that person and your heart was broken to some degree because it didn't work out. And then you go to the next person and give your heart there, and then it doesn't work out and your heart's broken. So by the time you actually do get married to the right person one day, your heart is so wounded in different places, you can never really give yourself completely to them because you've been too damaged in life. Did you know even on a first date, you know, somebody can give their heart to another person? Let me just give you some advice if you're single. Don't give your heart away until you know you're, you're going to marry that person. Guard your heart. The Bible says, guard your heart, for out of it flows the wellsprings of life. And there's no reason to be going around giving your heart away to everybody. Number two, the Bible very clearly talks about fornication, sex outside of marriage, as being something that, that will send people to hell. And in the biblical times, there was not all this being alone with the opposite sex. It just wasn't there. And now in America's dating system, you get two young people off by themselves in a car somewhere again how stupid can you be and still breathe yeah. and then things get out of hand and they're in sin you gotta understand the Lord's not coming back for a bride that's sleeping around hello is it okay I just tell it like it is alright and the Bible says to flee youthful lust and avoid even the appearance of evil so stay away from these things set up boundaries if you if you know, you feel like you're supposed to marry somebody. It's like my wife, God spoke to me about marrying her. I heard from God. I didn't date around. I didn't. And when God spoke to me, we got married, you know, and it, it was something that God put together. And I believe that's what God's wanting to do. Just like with this servant of Abraham. Abraham didn't want Isaac just going around trying to find somebody. He really wanted God to put something together. Did y'all hear that? He wanted God to pick the right person for him and bring it together. And people get emotionally bonded. Did you know that even without sleeping around, that two people can get too caught up emotionally together and they get all bonded together? I've seen this happen. I've seen people marry that shouldn't have married. But while they were dating, they gave their heart to each other and got emotionally all caught up together to where they could no longer hear from God. And if you were to ask them, are you sure this relationship's of God? Of course it is. But they're speaking out of their emotional ties that they have with that person. They got married and it didn't work out. 
So let me just give you some advice. Instead of dating around everywhere, why not pray and ask God to bring you somebody and hear from God? And number two, give God the reign of your heart. Some people, they have different, different idols, different gods in their life. There was a young man I knew years ago that he went from one girl to the next, and it was very sad. And I don't know that he's where he's at today, but it was, it was a messed up life. And I had another person ask me about it, and we really loved and cared about him, but my response eventually just simply had to be this. Different people have different idols and gods in their life, and his is women, period. He's going to have to deal with that idol in his life. He's going to have to get it under the blood. He's going to have to let God break that out of him, or he's going to end up with, with a very troubled life. But give God the reign of your heart. Just like, for example, a horse is a very large and powerful animal. But somebody can dictate the turn of that horse by the reins that they're holding in their hand. And they can turn those reins to the right or to the left. So let me just give you some advice here again. Let the Lord say, Lord, come take the reins of my heart and turn it the way you want me to go. Turn my heart the way you want me to go in life where I'm not just giving myself away to people and making stupid decisions throughout my life that's going to hurt me, it's going to hurt my future wife because I've given my heart to all these different people and it's eventually maybe even going to affect my future kids. Instead of going through all that, why don't I just give you the reins of my heart and let you turn it the way you want it to go? And also, let God be in complete charge about who you marry and when you marry. Some people want to rush things who you marry, and when you're going to marry. All right, so when Jesus comes, he's coming for a bride without spot or blemish. The Holy Spirit is right now in the earth preparing a bride for his coming. And I'll tell you something the Holy Spirit's not putting up with. He's not putting up with people that are just playing church, that are one way at church, but they're another way at home. Let me tell you something. You, can, you might be able to fool people at church, even though people are smarter than what you think. You might be able to fool some people at church, but I promise you're not fooling anybody as far as the Holy Spirit concerns. He's looking for people that are the real deal all the time. Amen? All right. Let me give you this next point about the, the wise virgin, the foolish and wise virgins. All right. So back in this biblical time, this is a beautiful parallel to the rapture of the church. This is really powerful. But in biblical times, a Jewish young man would wait at the well to look for a beautiful wife. And they were also, you know, there was, there was somewhat of them trying to find, you know, the, the parents and different people involved. They were wanting to make sure that they would marry the right person. But nonetheless, the women would go out to the wells. That was where they drew water. And he may be looking there. And it was a part of the young lady's chores to do that. So the young man would approach the father of the girl and there would be an offer of a dowry. So let me walk you through this in parallel with Jesus Christ. So the young man would approach the father of the girl and offer a dowry. And Jesus wanted a bride. And so he, what was his dowry? His dowry was that he gave his life on the cross. He gave everything for the bride. The young man would give what he could and the father would set the price. As the young man would then come to the house of the father and the father would receive the dowry, there would be a cup of wine that was poured and set on the table. So picture this. The young man goes out, he's interested in somebody, so he goes to her father and he gives a dowry and the father says, okay, I'll set the price, this is good. And he sets out a cup of wine there and if the daughter is willing to marry this young man, she'll drink the cup of wine. This is a parallel right now to us taking the Lord's Supper. Do you see that? So the young man is excited. Now she's agreed to it. She drank the wine. The father accepted the dowry. So now I'm engaged and he's excited about things. So he runs out and he is going now to prepare a dwelling place for them to live together when they get married. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. So he would begin at his father's house to build a bridal chamber. And this could take up to two years. And there's, there's been a 2,000-year grace period, the, the church age. 
The father would also help guide the hands of his son as he built. After the bridal area was built and complete, the father would declare, it is time to go get the bride. And how many knows Jesus said only the father knows the day or the time? Which is actually a Jewish idiom because of this. This was their culture. This is how things were. And so when it was time and the house was built, the father said, it's done. Now go get your bride. When it's time, the friends of the bridegroom would run in front of him and they would be shouting, behold, the bridegroom comes. When Jesus comes to catch away his bride like a thief in the night, the friends of the bridegroom are going to be shouting. But listen to this. Remember the, the scripture where Paul said that there would be a shout and a loud trumpet blast at his coming as the bride is caught away. I'm hoping to paint a picture here tonight if you'll follow me. And so that was the groom's job. He saw the, the wife. He went to the father. The dowry was paid. Christ gave his life on the cross. That was the dowry. It was accepted by the father. And now we take communion, which is like an agreement. You know, the, the woman drank the glass of wine. And now Jesus has gone. And he's preparing a place for us. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he said, nobody knows the day nor the hour because the father is going to be the one that makes that decision. And now the father one day will say to Jesus, now go get your bride. You're done. It's time. And so there's going to be a shout. And there's going to be this trumpet blast, the shofar blast. Behold, the bridegroom comes. So what's the job of the betrothed soon-to-be bride? What is her job? At this time, she would have a lamp by her bed and put oil in it every night before going to sleep and make sure that the wick was trimmed and the lamp was ready for his coming. She had to be ready at any time to go. And she would keep herself pure. She wasn't going around, you know, messing around with other men. She was keeping herself pure for the bridegroom. Amen? The father, being a smart man, had his daughters on the second floor. Anyway, so he would come in the middle of the night. He would come in the middle of the night, the groom would, and he would have to put a ladder up against the house to go get her. Now, I want you to follow this. It's really, really powerful if you get this. So the groom would climb up the ladder, and she would come out of a window. And she would be caught away as a thief in the night. Isn't that something? And in Revelation chapter 4, it says, Behold, I see a door open in heaven. There was an opening. And there was a voice that said, Come up here. You see the parallel. So our job is to be ready when the Lord should come. Because not everybody, I promise you, not everybody that goes to church is going to be ready and not everybody that calls them a themselves a Christian is going to be ready. But there is, among all these people that call themselves Christians and go to church every, you know, every week, there is a remnant in there that is a bride that is making herself ready for his coming and the Holy Spirit is working on that bride. So let me read you this story about Matthew uh, 25 verse 1. It talks about the wise and foolish virgins. Jesus gives this parable. He says, at that time, he's talking about when he comes. He says, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins. Now, all 10 of these were virgins, not five virgins, five harlots. Virgins speaks of God's people. So in other words, all of these were God's people. They took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they didn't take extra oil. The wise ones, however, took extra oil in jars along with the lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time coming. And they became drowsy and fell asleep. Remember, what is sleeping again? Prayerlessness. So at midnight, the cry rang out. Here comes the bridegroom. Remember, his friends would run out in front of him. They're shouting, the bridegroom's coming. And all the virgins, all of them woke up and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish ones said to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Remember, it was the job of, of the young betrothed woman every night to make sure that the lamp had extra oil. She had to be ready to go at any time. 
the foolish fell asleep and let their oil run out. And the wise virgins, five of them, only half of them were wise, said, no, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, you go to those that sell and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready, everybody say ready. Those that were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. So let me stop right there. So picture this. You've got these, these foolish virgins that were not ready because they allowed the oil to run out. So whenever it says in here, go to those that sell oil and buy some for yourself, what in the world is that talking about? I'll tell you what it's talking about. Revival. That's exactly what it's talking about. The Lord said, I will pour out my spirit in these last days. And the oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. And God is saying to us, hey, if you want to be my bride, you need to be full of the extra oil in your life. Go where I'm moving. Let me fill you with extra oil. The anointing of the Holy Ghost will be what prepares you for the coming of the Lord. That's exactly what this is talking about. That's how we're going to be ready, folks, is that we get filled with the Spirit of God and let the Holy Spirit do a work in our lives. So in other words, you could see the foolish virgin saying to them, why don't you go to revival and let God touch you and change you? But anyway, while they were gone, the Lord came and the foolish virgins were left behind. And the door, look at this, the door was shut. Now what I tell you in Revelation chapter 4, I saw, behold, a door was opened in heaven. And there was a voice that said, come up here. Now that same door is shut. And so the foolish virgins are stuck down here and they were crying out to the Lord, 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 they said, open the door back for us. Let us in. But he replied, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day nor the hour. Does this make a little more sense now reading these parables in light of the culture of that time? We need to be ready. There is a precious Holy Spirit who's at work among us and he is like the shotgun. He's the one that is preparing us for the bridegroom, but we've got to let him do it and we've got to surrender to him. Let the Holy Spirit fill you with extra oil. You remember when Esther went in to meet with King Xerxes and what did she have to do? She had to spend a year soaking in oil. Remember that? I read that story and thought, good grief, man, that king was something else. He's making all these women do all this. She had to soak in all this oil for like a year to be prepared to go meet with this king. But you gotta understand it's a prophetic parallel to the bride of Christ being soaked in the oil ready to meet with the bridegroom. So the wise virgins will have extra oil. I wanna have extra oil, amen? All right, so let me give you a few more things that are interesting here. You look at this picture, this is a hopa. This is what the Jewish people will get married underneath this canopy. All right. Isn't it interesting, when I look at this, anybody that was with us during the Feast of Tabernacles remembers we built the sukkah, we built that uh, booth, okay? Yeah, it was really fun. We had a big feast here. It was awesome. But here's the thing. If you look at this, think about this. Those of you that grew up Jewish will know what I'm talking about. This, to me, looks a lot like the booth at the Tabernacles, doesn't it? It looks a lot like a sukkah, doesn't it? And so it's interesting to me that the Tabernacles, the fall feast, have to do with the coming of the Lord and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then when you look at this, this looks just to me, it looks almost just like a booth, a sukkah, where the Lord is going to marry his bride. All right, so the coming marriage supper of the Lamb. We all know that Jesus was not born on December 25th. If you thought that, I'm just letting you know that's not what happened. All right, he was probably born around tabernacles, which would be in the fall... Um, September, early October time frame, usually in September. Probably, I've already preached so much on this, this, I can't dwell on it, but probably the rapture will have something to do with the fall feast, just like his first coming had to do with the spring feast. And then his glorious appearing probably will have to do with the fall feast as well. So when Jesus came, he didn't just die on any random day, he died on Passover the day, Passover, that day. He was in the tomb, okay, on the Feast of Unleavened Bread on that day. He raised from the dead at first fruits on the day of first fruits. 
And at Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, not the next day, not the day before, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was birthed. And, and we see Book of Acts Christianity break forth. And so whenever God has done these things, it's been in connection with the Feast of Israel or the Feast of the Lord, not the Feast of Israel. Um, but anyway, the Feast of the Lord and probably his second coming is going to have a lot to do with it. So if you've been in previous services, you know what I'm talking about. But look at this. During a Jewish wedding, you know what the rabbi will do whenever the bridegroom and the bride come? He says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What did Jesus say to people? He said, you won't see me again until what? You say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? And as I mentioned, the Jewish weddings and the chuppah, it looks just like the tabernacles to me. Traditionally, women would wear a white wedding dress and have uh, like blue around the bosom chest area. Now, isn't it interesting that you can look back here because I got a picture of the priest but the priest of the Old Testament had a layer of pure white, which had to do with righteousness. Then they had a layer of blue, which has to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to teach on it, but trust me, that's that garment that has the bells and pomegranates. It's a clothing of power from on high, okay? It's the baptism and the Holy Ghost and fire. And then there's a, a covering of gold on top of that. And you know what the gold is? The glory. We need God's glory, his manifest presence on our lives, not just to be clothed in power, but we need God's presence on our lives. The church, by and large, is missing the presence of God. But I believe that the wedding garments have to do with the priestly garments. <coughs> and just like the Jewish women would have white and blue, and I'm sure they would have maybe some gold of some kind, but it's interesting because you can see the priestly garments in this. And I'll get back to that in just a moment. So at the Jewish wedding, look at this. They would drink two different cups of wine. The first cup has to do with sorrow, and the next cup has to do with joy. Did you know Jesus said this in the Garden of Gethsemane? Of all the things that he could have said, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is sitting there trembling, sweating drops of blood, and what does he say? He says, take this cup from me. What cup? The cup of sorrow. At the wedding at the a Jewish wedding they would have the first cup was a cup of sorrow and it represented that I'll be with you through the thick and thin I'll be with you through the trials of life that's what it represented the sorrows that people go through in life but then the second cup has to do with joy and remember this when Jesus had Passover with his disciples he said I will not drink this cup with you again until I drink it with you in the kingdom to come at the marriage supper of the lamb is what he was talking about and that will be the cup of joy. So Jesus drank the cup of sorrow in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he's going to drink the cup of joy with us at the marriage supper. And of course, they'll be wrapped in a tallit, the prayer shawl together, which speaks of a mantle. But let me say this, I'm going to get off this. But we've got to be ready to be cleansed by the Lord. I've done so much teaching on this that if this is new to you, I'm sorry because I can't get bogged down. But there were three ways that God cleansed the priesthood. They were cleansed in Exodus 29. They were cleansed by blood. There had to be a sacrifice made that would cleanse the priesthood by the blood. And today, there's an awesome power in taking the Lord's Supper and getting washed and really like a deep cleansing of the blood of the Lamb. Are y'all hearing me? How many wants to be a bride made ready for his coming? It's connected to the priesthood. I'm about to show you. But number one is really getting deeply washed and consecrated in the blood, okay? The second way the priesthood was, priesthood was cleansed was through the anointing with oil. They would pour oil over them. They were set apart. And there's a power in, in anointing with oil. There just is. It's all through the scriptures in the New Testament as well. That even there's a promise in the scriptures that if somebody's sick, let them come to church and call on the elders and the elders anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. But it mentions being anointed with oil. So it's all through the scriptures. Jesus sent out his disciples and they would anoint people with oil. They were healed. Demons left them. So there's a consecration that is taking place in these last days where, where through the Lord's Supper, people are being deeply consecrated and being anointed with oil. You remember we had that anointing service not that long ago? 
We anointed people with oil and prayed over them, and the power of God touched people. It was awesome. But also, not only being anointed with physical oil, but the Holy Spirit filling you with extra oil. And then the third was um, what is called immersion or the mikvah. This is what we call baptisms because of the Greek in the New Testament, baptismo, but it was an immersion. Back in this culture, listen to this, back in this culture, people were baptized, if you will, immersed. Uh, a real devout Jew would be immersed every Sabbath or right before Sabbath. If they were defiled, the husband and wife-to-be would be mikvah. They'd be baptized right before their marriage before a high holiday and on Yom Kippur. Now think about how common water baptism was during this time. What we know as baptism, they would have called it mikvah. But what we know as baptism, and even on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell like he did and those 3,000 people got saved, all those people were coming to the temple. And when people came to the temple, some of the temple purification rites, they had these waters these tubs of water everywhere and they could self-immerse in that it's a baptism and that's why it was so readily available and so easy they said Peter what, what must we do he said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord there was pools of, of mikvah water right there and they could be water baptized what I'm saying is this the Gentile Western Gentile Church the mentality unfortunately goes back to the Catholic Church but there's been things that have been stolen from the church. And now you see a lot of churches take communion maybe once a year. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? It's rare, if ever, that you see people anointed with oil. And baptism, water baptism, is downplayed like it's not a big deal. Now remember what I told you at the beginning of this sermon? I'm not saying that any of it saves you. Faith in Jesus alone saves you. But I do believe it has to do with you being deeply consecrated unto God. There's a difference, okay? You get into heaven by faith in Christ, but there can still be a defilement. God is wanting to deeply consecrate and prepare a bride. So what I'm saying is this, that I believe these are the same methods that are used today that God is using to purify a bride for his coming. I believe when we take communion, it's more than just a dead ritual. How many believe that? There's something powerful that's going on. I believe when we're anointing people with oil, we're not just going through some religious ceremonies, some motions, no. And you know what about water baptism? Did you know 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that the children of Israel were baptized through the Red Sea into Moses? But I want you to think about this. The same waters that baptized Israel, that whole nation, were the same waters that closed behind them and separated them from their past bondages in Egypt. And it also destroyed Pharaoh's army that was trying to chase them. So you mean to tell me that water baptism isn't powerful? I've seen people through communion and I've seen people being anointed with oil and I've also seen people water baptized that have been healed of things miraculously healed that had been delivered from demonic spirits and that their whole lives have been transformed I've seen it with my eyes isn't that powerful well some people say well how often as often as you need it let's not get religious and weird well we're going to start like counting okay you did it you got anointed with oil you know once or twice so I mean you're you're good now for life you know I mean it's like let's why are we getting religious and weird about it why not just say, look, as often as somebody needs that in their life, why don't we just make it available so they can be consecrated unto God? I've had to water baptize people more than once because they had defiled themselves. But you know what? God did a mighty work in their life too through it. So anyway, these are the same methods that consecrated the priesthood that God is wanting to consecrate a bride for his coming. Let me finish out and this will make more sense. So after the Jewish wedding, they'll have a reception time. Listen to this. Their reception goes for seven days. How about that for a party? So how long are we going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, those that have made themselves ready? Seven years. The marriage supper will be for seven years, but on the earth, 
the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation will be seven years regarding Israel on the earth as God is preparing things for his coming here. All right, the priest, whenever they put on those robes, their dad passed the priesthood to them, and now they, they went through a ceremony where blood was shed, they were anointed, they were mikvahed, and they put the garments on them. They had to go stay in that holy place for seven days while God was consecrating them for service. That's similar to the marriage supper of the Lamb, isn't it? We're going to be with the Lord for seven years being consecrated and, and made ready to come back and rule and reign with him. All right, and there was no tears allowed at Jewish weddings. Actually, even if you were sad, you were supposed to suck it up, man. You're not supposed to cry at the Jewish wedding, okay? You just didn't do it. If you had to cry, you go to the bathroom or something, cry in there, get it all cleaned up because it's supposed to be a joyful occasion. So what did Jesus say whenever we're going to see him? He said, I will wipe all tears away. It's going to be a joyful time. So let me close with the wedding garments. Hopefully these parables are making a lot more sense tonight. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So God the Father preparing a wedding banquet for the son. And so the king sent out his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Now follow me and you'll really be blessed by this parable. Who were the first people that were invited to the wedding banquet? The Jews. Now we know that there was many Jews that accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. And in fact, all of them that wrote the New Testament were Jewish people pretty much except for Luke, okay? So there were many followers that loved Jesus that were Jewish, but by and large, the nation as a whole rejected him. So he sent his servants to those who had been invited. So God the Father's calling out to the nation of Israel, come to the marriage supper. They refused to come. Verse four. So then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, fat, uh, fattened cattle, have been butchered and everything's ready come to the wedding banquets but they paid no attention to them you know who this is this is the disciples and those that went out and preached the gospel calling out to them come repent god wants to accept you through jesus christ accept him and they were calling out they were inviting them to the marriage supper but instead of listening to them verse 6 says they uh, the rest seized his servants mistreated and killed them and how many knows that the early church are y'all hearing me the early church were martyred. They were seized, they were mistreated, and they were killed. So the king, God the Father, was enraged and sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. In 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and just like Jesus said, he said not one stone be left on another, Titus, a Roman general, came down with his army, his son Vespasian, they came in, and they believed that there was gold in between the stones. So they actually tied rope to the stones and pulled one stone off the other looking for gold. And just like Jesus prophesied, there was not one stone left on another. So God the Father allowed the army to come in, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and the Jewish people were scattered to the nations. Verse 8 then he said to his servants that a wedding banquet is ready but those i invited did not deserve to come so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anybody you find so the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find the bad as well as the good and the wedding hall was filled with guests so you know what that is the 2000 church 2000 years of church church age the grace age where people god's been calling out to the highways and the byways to the streets to all those that are out there to come unto jesus all of you come unto the Lord and see until this 2,000 years it says until the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled okay so the Lord will gradually put his focus back on Israel and we know after the bride is raptured the focus will primarily be on Israel but anyway so right now both the good and the bad everybody's being called to come to the Lord but when the king came in to see all the guests, he noticed that there was a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Now, remember how we opened this thing up? Remember there were some people that did not have wedding garments on? And Revelation talked about 
some of them being spiritually naked. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, I told you I'd come back to that. Right here it says, he noticed there was a man not wearing wedding clothes. Okay, so he didn't have his wedding garments. He said to him, how'd you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. So the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness. Will there be weeping and gnashing of teeth? For many are invited, but few are chosen. So here's the thing right now. Across the body of Christ, the Lord is calling out to come to the marriage supper. He's calling out to all those that go to church. He's calling out to the highways and byways and the streets, to the people like you guys that are going out and telling people about Jesus and trying to get them to come. He's calling out to everybody. Across the body of Christ, it's going across television, it's going across the internet. There, there's the word of the Lord is going out, and all these people are invited. But the truth of the matter is, even though many are invited, there's only going to be a few that are chosen in the end. Are you hearing me? Because there's going to be a remnant, a bride that has made herself ready, that's got their, their lamp ready. The wick is trimmed where you got the dirty part off, and it's a fresh wick. That's the Lord cutting out of you what needs to go. There's extra oil. They've been sanctified unto God. They've made themselves ready. They're without spot or blemish, and they're looking. They're not falling asleep spiritually. They're praying, and they're watching, and they're anticipating his coming. There's a bride that is making themselves ready. But it's not going to be everybody that sits in a church pew. So my question is, are you ready for the Lord when he comes as a thief in the night? Or are your garments stained with the world? And I'll close by just a couple quick things. There were three people that were prophetic parallels to those that will be ready for the rapture. Number one, Enoch. How many knows Enoch was just walking around one day and was raptured right out of here? Y'all remember reading that in the Bible? I mean, the man was raptured. Let's just say what it was. He's walking along, and the Bible says he no longer was because God took him. He was just... <laughs> and that's exactly a picture and type of the rapture. You're just walking along, and all of a sudden, you no longer are here. You're gone. You know, you're out of here. But what was it about Enoch was that he was a man that walked with God. He had a strong prayer life and that's what I'm telling you remember it said a couple times I never knew you the Lord is wanting a relationship you know the communion table you know what it speaks of the communion table speaks of two people face to face communing in fact in the Old Testament the, the um, table of showbread the showbread was called the bread of faces you were supposed to, it's a picture and type of you face to face with the Lord. I don't have time to get into the whole thing about Sinai and how they went up there. Remember, and they ate and they saw God. But the thing is, God is wanting us to be ready. He's wanting a relationship. He's not looking for religious duty. He's looking for relationship. There's a difference. My sheep hear my voice. He's wanting people that know him, like Enoch, that walk with him. They have a strong prayer life. Number two, Noah. When the wrath of God came down on the earth, Noah and his family floated up. And then when the wrath of God subsided, they came back down to the earth again. And that's a picture and type of the rapture. The wrath of God is going to come down on the earth. The bride, not everybody, but the bride is going to be caught up. And we're going to be partying with the Lord. I mean, that's what it says at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And while we're having this, this extended um, you know, Feast of Tabernacles celebration, and those that are Messianic can really appreciate what I'm talking about, is we have this great celebration with the Lord, the earth is going to be going through turmoil, the worst days you could ever imagine. And, but at the end of it, we're going to come back down with the Lord to rule and reign with him. So just like Noah went up and back down. But what was it about Noah? Noah was a righteous man in a wicked generation. Did y'all get that? That's what the Lord is looking for. He's looking for people that will be righteous in a wicked generation. Because how many knows that you don't have to look far to see that we're living in a very, very wicked generation. But the Lord is wanting us to be like Noah and be righteous. And so when the judgment comes, we're ready, we're ready to be caught up with the Lord. All right, then the third prophetic parallel is Elijah. Elijah was raptured out of here. He was there one minute and some chariots, fiery chariots and horsemen came down and swooped him up. I would have loved to have seen that. Now, we actually have some artists, you know, drew something over there. You can see it. But, man, wouldn't it be awesome to be there and be one of the guys that was just there? 
you know, maybe getting a drink of water or something, and you saw the, the chariots come down and just swoop up Elijah, and his mantle dropped on the ground. But Elijah was raptured out of here. You know what marked Elijah was the anointing. And that goes back to what I was saying to this. We've got to be a people of the anointing, a people of the extra oil. Okay. You know, whenever the rapture happens and you're dealing with now the earth going through all these judgments and the shift is back on Israel, did you know that does not mean that God's through saving people? Did you know that God is going to raise up 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are going to spread the gospel during that time? Isn't that awesome? So even though the, the judgment's coming down and the shift is, it, God, the time of the Gentiles, is, as far as the church age, seems to be closing there, but the shift's back on Israel, God's not through saving people. He still loves people. And he's going to raise up those evangelists. And not only that, they're going to be going to the highways and byways preaching. But on top of that, God so loves Israel that he's going to send them two prophets. And one of those prophets is going to be Elijah. Did you know to this day, the Jewish people at their feast and ceremonies, they'll set out a cup of Elijah because they were told that before the Lord comes, Elijah will come. And so they're waiting for Elijah to come. And what they don't understand bless their heart is that when John the Baptist came Jesus said that he came in the spirit of Elijah to prepare for the Lord's coming the first time and you know what God's going to do before Jesus comes the second time he's going to send Elijah again and he's going to be actually in Jerusalem with probably either Moses or Enoch I believe Moses and they're going to be the two prophets that are preaching in Israel this is in the book of Revelation and so what the Lord told them, he said, before, I, before the Messiah comes, you'll see Elijah. That happened the first time, but it's also going to happen the second time. The Jewish people will see Elijah again before the Lord comes. Isn't that powerful? All right, so this is what I close with this. Laodicea morning, a sleeping bride. We, I tell you what Jesus is not coming for. He's not coming for a sleeping bride. You know, the friends of the bridegroom are running down the street. Behold, the bride's coming. And then you hear the bride snoring. Jesus is not coming for a stained, dirty bride. He's coming for a bride that has made herself ready. He's not coming for a bride in adultery that is one way at church and another way outside of church. That's watching filth. That's messing around with the world. And it concerns me what I see right now in the church world. You're seeing people with their foul mouths and the way that they're drinking and the way that they're living and it's worldly and it's, it's not right. And I'll tell you what, when the Lord comes, their mouths are going to be hanging open because they're going to realize I wasn't right and I wasn't ready. And I'll tell you something else Jesus isn't coming for. He's not coming for a lukewarm bride. He said that makes him sick. How many of you guys ever put something in your mouth that literally made you spit it out? You guys ever had that? All right. Anyway, I was going to say something about my wife. There's a certain kind of food she doesn't like, but I don't want to go. But anyway, you, you eat this, and it makes you want to vomit it out. It makes you nauseous. Did you know that Jesus said that lukewarm people make him nauseous? He wants to spit them out. So when Jesus comes, he is looking for, he's coming for a bride that is on fire, a bride that is ready, a bride that is praying and anticipating his coming, saying, Maranatha, Lord, come. In the book of Revelation, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord. They're looking for his coming. They're anticipating it. They're ready. They're making themselves ready. They're about the Lord's business. They're getting out there trying to get people ready. Those are the people that the Lord's coming for. And he's sending revival in these last days to give us extra oil to help us get ready for his coming. And my response is, Lord, fill us up with extra oil. Give us extra oil. I want as much as I can get, Lord.